0: have your Bible this morning. I want to invite you uh, to turn with me to James chapter 5. If uh, you are using one of the Bibles in the rack in front of you, I believe it's page 1073. What an incredible uh, call to worship this morning just to get us excited and focused on the Lord and ready to hear from His Word. I was reading this week from a theologian, D.A. Carson, uh, and what I read this week, he said... Uh, that the easiest way to embarrass the typical Christian uh, is to ask him or to ask her about her private prayer life. You know, it's easy for us to talk about our Bible knowledge. Most of us are pretty comfortable there. We can talk about doctrine and and Bible history. We can systemize theology. We can talk about how many times we've read the Word, and and all of those are good things. But for many people to talk about their private prayer life is to bring up some embarrassing points. Uh, Many people don't pray as much as they want to pray and and don't pray as much as they ought to pray. And so our private prayer life can be a a real source of of embarrassment. How about you? Uh, What if the Lord this morning answered every single prayer request that you had given over the last two weeks, what if every specific prayer request, everything that you've prayed for over the last two weeks and that you prayed specifically with a name and a date, I mean, it's a specific measurable prayer request. What if God took all of the requests that you had prayed over the last two weeks and immediately right now he answered all of those prayers exactly as you had asked them I wonder if our city would be any different than it is this morning. I wonder how many people would be instantly swept into the kingdom of God because you and I had prayed specifically for those people over the last two weeks. I wonder how many marriages would be rescued. I wonder what their names are. Who is it who would see their life turned around if instantly God answered all of our specific prayer requests over the last two weeks? How many people would be walking with the Lord today who have not been walking with the Lord because we had prayed specifically for them? What kind of victories would our church experience? What kind of victories would the kingdom of God experience right here in this city? How would our city be different if God instantly answered every specific prayer request we had made in the last two weeks? See, church, I think we need to stop and just triage our prayer lives. I think we need to... Come up with a diagnosis and figure out why they are not what they could be, what they should be. And and, and then I think we need to apply some life-saving measures. I think we need to step it up when it comes to our prayer times. And so we're going to read this morning in James chapter 5. we've been spending our summer in the book of James, we are very close to the end. We have this Sunday, and if the Lord is willing, next Sunday we're going to do something just a little different because we have a special emphasis, but then two more weeks we'll be in the book of James and it will be done. We will have spent our entire summer studying the book of James. So today we're going to look at one verse, James chapter 5, verse 13. And the scripture says, is anyone among you suffering, he should pray. Is anyone cheerful, he should sing praises. Now that's a pretty simple verse. It says, if life is hard, you should pray. If life is great, you should pray. He says to sing praises, and, and, and that is a good translation. The word behind that is soletto. It's the word from which we get our word psalms. It talks about singing. Uh, But this word is also used of any kind of communication with God. In in, in Ephesians 5.19, the same word is used to speak of a private, inaudible conversation with God. So it just simply means praying. And praying can be spoken, it can be sung, it can be public or private. It can be in our heads, in our hearts, or on our lips. But he's talking about praying. And so he says, if you draw a line, and on this side you've got life is hard. And on this other side you've got life is great. He says, wherever you find yourself along that line, you should pray. He encourages us at every turn, no matter what is going on in life, let's be people of prayer. And this isn't just something that we hear from James. By the way, James addresses prayer five times in this book, and we'll see some of those verses today and some of them again in two weeks. But you find this throughout the New Testament. In Romans 15, 30, he says, I appeal to you to strive together with me in fervent prayer. Ephesians six eighteen says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Colossians 4, 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says to pray constantly. Hebrews 13, 18 says, I urge you all the more to pray. And We can turn to the words of Jesus and we see he gives the same emphasis to prayer that we find in the epistles. Matthew seven, seven, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He says earlier in that same passage, Matthew six, nine, pray like this. And he gives them specific instructions to pray. So why don't we pray more than we pray? Have you ever wondered that? That's the kind of question pastors sit around and think about all the time. Why don't we pray more than we pray? And in thinking about that and praying about that this week, I think there are three reasons that people most often cite, commonly cite, for why we, people like me and you, why we don't pray more than we do. And I think all three of these reasons are wrong. I think these are poor reasons. Uh, And and I, I wanna discuss them, I wanna go through each one, not to make you feel bad, but to help you, to help me, set aside some of these excuses and set aside some of these obstacles that are keeping us from praying. Because I think we believe these three things. We believe some of these three things and we're using this, Satan's using this as an obstacle to keep us from progressing in our, in our prayer life. So let me tell you the three bad reasons, the three wrong reasons people cite for why they don't pray more than they do. Reason number one, I just don't know how to pray. Sometimes people will say, I just don't know how. Now, I'm not going to focus much on that because let's just be honest. We know that that's an excuse, not a reason, right? You know how to pray. If you've ever had a conversation with somebody, you've ever had a conversation with your parents or with your children or with your spouse or with your neighbor, you know how to pray. Prayer is just a conversation. Now, there are more things that we can learn about prayer there are great truths about prayer. We can all be better at praying. Certainly, there are more things to learn, but let's don't let those intricacies keep us from just praying. Because the truth is, everybody can pray. Now, you may not pray like somebody else prays, but you can pray. Don't embrace this false excuse that I don't pray because I don't know how to pray. You do know how to pray. And honestly, uh, from, a, from a person who's read a s- stacks of books on prayer, from a person that's preached a lot of sermons on prayer, you know the best way to learn to pray is just pray. I'm not saying you ought not read some good books about prayer once in a while. If we do a prayer series here, I want you to come to it. I mean, don't just blow it off. But but the best way to learn to pray is just to pray. So it's not a valid excuse to say I don't pray because I don't know how. Don't let that obstacle keep you from praying. That is not a a valid reason. Now the second reason I think people point to as a reason for not praying more, that's not a, a genuine reason, is that I just don't have time to pray. Hear people saying, my life is busy. I just, I'm I'm always on the go. I get up in the morning. I've got places to go, things to do. I don't have time to pray. But friends, we know that that's not legitimate, right? We spend much time doing all kinds of things that we know are much less important than prayer. Uh, we, We have plenty of time to pray. We have plenty of time. If we wanted to pray, we could pray. And the great thing about prayer is it's not... It's not locked to a certain time or certain place. You can pray in the morning, you can pray in the evening. You can pray in the middle of the day, you can pray at home, you can pray at work. Maybe not in every job, but in many jobs you can close the door and pray. You can pray outside, you can pray inside, you can pray in the kitchen, you can pray in the bathroom, I suppose. You can pray anywhere at any time. So let's don't give ourselves this excuse, I don't have time, and let that keep us from being the people of prayer that that we know that we ought to be. So let me give you the third excuse. And this one is, uh, I want to spend some time on because I'll be honest with you, this this often is my excuse. If you were to ask me, why don't I pray more than I pray? I would point to this third thing. We often use the excuse that we don't have enough self-discipline. We think, if I just had a little bit more self-discipline, I would pray more. Friends, that's not the case. We we talk about self-discipline as if it is this power or this skill or this ability that some people have and some people don't. And if I just had more of it, I would be a better prayer warrior. But but that's not true. Now, self-discipline is a real thing. The Bible talks about it in Galatians 5.22. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. But it is not the reason why people don't pray. You will do the things that you find value in. You will do the things that you think are beneficial and important. Self-discipline it is not the reason we don't pray. Now, I think we, we latch on to that for a couple of reasons. I think I latch on to it because, first of all, when I say it's self-discipline, then i'm saying it's outside of my control i I am covering up the fact that i choose how much i pray and i'm i am saying i can't help it it's i don't have enough self-discipline and and i think in some sense we're covering up the real reason that we're going to get to in a moment the real reason why we don't pray that we're embarrassed about i'll just tell you when i give you the real reason you're going to be embarrassed if it's true of you I think we use this self-discipline to cover that real reason up. You tell me, how much self-discipline does it take for a Texas A&M football fan to set aside three hours every Saturday in the fall to watch a football game? Does it take much self-discipline? No, that's not even a matter of self-discipline. It's not even connected with self-discipline. Uh, Texas A&M football fans do that because they love football and they love their, their Aggies and so they're, they're watching. They're watching the game. How much self-discipline does it take for two newlyweds who are in love to carve out time for one another every day? Does that take self-discipline? No, not at all. They're motivated to do that. How much self-discipline does it take someone who is a sufferer of chronic pain to take his medicine on a schedule every so often? It doesn't take self-discipline because he knows or she knows that that is important to not have that pain grow worse. It's not a matter of self-discipline. It's a matter of how we value our time and value our energy. Uh, If I'm thinking about lunch today and I have a choice between alfalfa sprouts and a juicy hamburger. Okay, now what determines which of those two you eat? Is it self-discipline? No, it's a value judgment. Maybe you don't believe that alfalfa sprouts would be really that much healthier. I mean, what what in the world is an alfalfa sprout? And who's the person that decided that was the more healthy option? And so maybe you you eat the hamburger because you just don't believe that alfalfa sprouts are healthy. Or maybe you do believe they're healthy. You just don't care, right? (laughs) You would just rather have the hamburger than the alfalfa sprouts because you enjoy the the taste of the hamburger more than you enjoy the health of the alfalfa sprouts. But what you eat is determined by which of those two things you believe is more valuable to you. Can I tell you the real reason why we don't pray more? The real reason is we just don't think prayer matters. The real reason me and you don't pray more than we do is we're just not convinced that there's that much value in prayer. If we believe prayer mattered more, we would pray more. Does that make sense? The difference between a person who prays much and a person who prays little is usually not their theology. It's usually not their love for the Lord. And it's hardly ever their self-discipline. It's that one person is convinced that prayer matters and the other person is not. If you and I are convinced, we will pray. If we're not, we won't. And so he tells us very simply here in James 5, 13 that we should pray. I want to give you a couple of reasons to pray. I I, I want to help you pray better this morning by convincing you that prayer is valuable, because it is. And so let's, I could give you a hundred reasons why prayer is important and valuable. And, and, and if we were in a different book of the Bible, I would give different reasons that I'm giving today. But let's, let's notice that in James, there are at least two reasons given for why prayer is valuable, why we should invest our time and energy in prayer at least Two reasons that we find right here. We're studying the book of James. Let's see what he has to say. So reason number one, that we should pray. If our problem, if the reason we don't pray is we're not convinced it's worth it, I'm going to show you it is. And the first reason it is, is because God delights in answering prayer. That's why you should pray. Because God delights in answering prayer. Now, not all prayer is making requests to God. There are other types of prayer, certainly, and they're valuable. And they're worth doing. But James addresses uh, at least three times in this book, specifically praying and requesting God to provide something. And, and so let's talk about that. God delights in answering prayer. Now, when we, if we turn back a page in your Bible to James chapter 4, we see this right here at the beginning of this chapter is one place he addresses this. Now, here James makes a connection Between our lack and our negligence. Let me explain. He makes a connection between what we think we lack. I don't have enough wisdom or I don't have enough health or I don't have enough money or I don't have enough success or I don't, whatever it is you think you lack. He connects what we lack with the neglect to pray for that. And, and, And now look at this. James chapter four, verse two. He says, you desire and you do not have. Okay, so you have a lack. You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. He says, you do all of these things. You are trying your best to figure it out and to, and to, and to come up with your solution. You're working hard. You're scrambling around. But you do not have, he says, at the end of verse two, you do not have because you do not Ask Now, what does he say? He says that there are some needs or there are some desires, to use his language, some desires that you have that will not be fulfilled apart from praying. He said you do not have because, directly because, you do not ask for those things one of the reasons we should pray is because god delights in answering prayer jesus said something very similar matthew chapter 7 verse 9 he says who among you if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a snake if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts To those who ask him. God delights in answering prayer. Now God may not answer it just like you would like him to. And God may not answer according to your timetable. God has his own purposes and God knows more than we know. But God never ignores the request of his children. God never, listen to that, God never ignores the request of his children. So we should pray. We should pray boldly and specifically and fervently and persistently and in faith. We should pray because God delights in answering prayer. I uh, meet in the mornings during the week with different groups of men. And uh, right now I'm meeting with a couple of different groups. Uh, Before summer started, I was meeting on three days a week with different groups of men. And and we just get together, we read the Bible, and we talk about the Bible, we pray for one another, and uh, we encourage one another. And so in two of those three groups, uh, we had a man, they're just small groups, there's just four of us in each group. In two of those groups, we had a man, you know, a different man in each group, uh, who at the beginning of the year... Face great uncertainty in his career. Uh, and there was, uh, there was reason to believe that by this time he'd be out of a job. And these are men with uh, successful careers and, and uh, men you know, who, who had been in their careers for a long time. And it was, uh, there was great uncertainty. And so we began to pray, each of these groups praying for the man in their group. And we prayed and we prayed every week and we prayed for that man while we were away from the group. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And you know what? Today, both of those men, in an unexpected fashion, have been given by the Lord a better job than they had a year ago that they could never have planned, that was not on their radar, that they did not see coming with circumstances that could not have been predicted. You tell me God doesn't answer prayer. God delights in answering the prayers of his people. Why should we pray? Because God answers prayer. Now, let me, sh- let me show you one more verse here in James before we get to the, to the next one. Go back to James 5 and we'll look at some verses we're going to look at again next week, but I just want to highlight them. Verse 17 it says, Elijah was a human being as we are and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Now I know you're thinking, has he been praying <laughs> here recently that it wouldn't rain? And, um, but he prayed that it wouldn't rain under the direction of the Lord and it didn't rain. In verse 18, then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. God delights in answering prayer. That's the first reason to pray. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to pray? Absolutely. Because God delights in answering prayer. But let me tell you a second reason. Now, this one's much more subtle, but I think it's even more important. Not only does God delight in answering prayer, but prayer is the mechanism for our dependence upon the Lord. Prayer is the mechanism. It is the It is the device that we use to depend upon the Lord. Now turn back to James chapter one, and we'll begin reading in verse five. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, how many of us lack wisdom? All right. That's all of us. Uh, any of you lacks wisdom and you do, we do. He should ask God. Now that's another way of saying what? to pray, to ask God means to pray. So if any of you lacks wisdom and you do, you should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. And he goes on to give us more information about how to do that. But he's talking about, he's highlighting the need for us to live in dependence upon the Lord. God's desire is that we would recognize our lack of wisdom and our lack of resources and that we would walk day by day, moment by moment, in dependence upon the Lord and prayer would be the mechanism for that. So how do I depend upon God every hour? How do I depend upon God every moment? Well, I'm constantly praying. God, it's a new day. I'm going to need wisdom today. I'm going to need strength. I'm going to need you to take the uh, the the temptations out of my pathway, God. I'm gonna I'm gonna need you to help me be gentle with people. I'm gonna need you to help me be able to give people wise counsel when they ask me. God, th- th- this this whole day will be a disaster if you don't walk beside me. See, that's what it means to live independence on God and prayer is the mechanism for that it means when you go to work you pray it means when you go to school you pray it means when you drive down North Street you pray it means all the time you're seeking God's assistance for life prayer is the mechanism by which we depend upon the Lord too many Christians think that that God has just given us some general direction And then he's backed up and let us chase after our assignment. But that's not how the Bible says that God relates to us. I just finished reading a book on George Washington and how he conducted the Revolutionary War. And it's interesting to read and just to be surprised at at how much technology has changed things through the years. And so George Washington oftentimes would gather a commander and a thousand soldiers and he would send them on a mission. And he would say, go to Chesapeake Bay or go, uh, go, go to Charleston, South Carolina. And, and he would give them these instructions, but they were very general. Because once he sent them away, he didn't talk to them for weeks or months or in a couple of occasions in a year. They would get into battles. George Washington wouldn't even know about the battle until it had been over two or three weeks. And he would get word. And oftentimes, even what he heard then was not an accurate picture. See, George Washington would just give these general orders and then these these captains would go out and they would just persecute the war in whatever way seemed best for them. We we too often think that's how God gives us instructions. that, That you need to go be a worship pastor. Um, Andre now that's and, and glorify me now go do it but but no God doesn't just give us general instructions and then back up God wants to walk with us every step of the way God wants us to live in dependence on him now here's why this is hard I think for some of us to grasp we have a wrong understanding of Christian maturity when we think about Christian maturity what it means to be a mature Christian. Don't you want to be a mature Christian? I think our church has many mature Christians. But here's what we think of when we think of Christian maturity, that that means that over the years, I've grown, I have grown stronger and wiser and more in control so that I don't need Jesus as much today as I did 10 years ago. When we look at our lives and we say, well, I remember when I came to know Christ and I was desperate for God's help and I was desperate for wisdom and I was desperate for strength and for protection. But that was years ago. I've grown up since then. I'm not nearly as desperate for God as I was. But friends, listen, church, that is wrong. Christian maturity does not mean we get to the place where we need Jesus less and less and less. Christian maturity is when we recognize more and more and more that we do need Jesus every day. See, it's the opposite, I think, of what people think. And and perhaps the reason why we think this is because too often preachers like me have compared growing up spiritually with growing up physically. Those are not the same things. In fact, I think they're the opposite. To grow up physically means we grow from dependence to independence, right? So if you've, just, if you've got an infant at your house, that infant is pretty dependent. The infant can't feed himself, the infant can't walk around, the infant can't bathe himself, the infant can't change his own diaper, right? The infant is very dependent. And you as a parent look forward to the day when the infant will have some independence, right? And so then you take that same little baby and now he's a first grader. Well, now he has a lot more independence. Now he can go to the potty, okay? Now he can take care of a few things. And so you celebrate that he has grown up and by growing up you mean he is more independent. Well, then they continue to grow. So I put my oldest daughter on an airplane this morning, or actually put her in a car as she's headed to an airplane this morning, and uh, she's a sophomore in college, and it and she's more independent every day. Uh, she's gotten a rented a house. I don't I don't I don't I don't know where it is. I, I don't I don't know who signed the lease. I don't know who's paying the electric bill. I don't know who's living there. I don't know she's turning into an adult she's she's gaining more independence she needs me less and less that's what it means to grow up physically that is not what it means to grow up spiritually to grow up spiritually doesn't mean we go from dependence to independence it means that we go from independence to dependence See, independence from God, that was our problem all along. That's not where we're trying to get to. That's where we're trying to get from. The problem was we were independent from God. And when we came to know Christ, we surrendered to him and said, I want my life to be dependent upon you. And to grow in maturity doesn't mean that we grow apart from God, our need from God. It means that every day we are more aware of how much we need him. And prayer is the mechanism for that. Now, I, I, I so badly want you to understand this that I'm going I'm to give you three scripture verses that explain this. I had a half dozen of these, but you didn't want to be here that long. So I've, I've cut it down to three, but I really want you, this is one of the most important lessons in the Christian life. I really want you to get this. So let me share three verses with you. They'll all be familiar. Uh, the first one is John 15, five, the words of Christ. He said, I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. What does he say? He says, he's the, he's the vine. We're the branches for a branch to bear fruit. What does it have to do? It has to stay stuck to the vine. You can't cut it off. It won't bear any fruit. So the only hope the branch has of accomplishing anything is stay connected to the vine. So he points that out. And then he closes this verse by saying, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing, nothing. Now that's not something that was true when you first got saved, but now you can do a few things. It's not that that when I first became a pastor, I really needed God to help me every week, but now I've sort of got this thing figured out and I can do a little bit on my own. No, he says you can do nothing. And that's just as true of my life now as it was 33 years ago when I first came to know Christ. I can do nothing without him, nothing of any eternal significance. I can do nothing in my marriage worth anything apart from the work of Christ. I can do nothing in parenting worth anything apart from my dependence upon Christ. Christ is the key to everything. So to grow up in spiritual maturity doesn't mean I do more and Jesus does less. It means I know more and more how much I need him to do it. Let me give you another verse that will communicate it perhaps a little better. Philippians 4.13. This is a favorite verse of many of you. And it's a great verse. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Ever heard that verse? Of course you have. Now many people see that verse as a declaration of strength. You, you, You hear football players say, I can do all things through Christ. The key is through Christ who strengthens me. This is not a declaration of strength. This is a declaration of weakness. The Verse really says, apart from Christ, I can't do anything. It says the same thing John 15, five says. I need Christ to grow in maturity means I recognize more and more that it's through Christ that I do things and it is through Christ that I'm strengthened. Now the best illustration of this I think is second Corinthians chapter 12. And sh- I think this is in your outline. 2 Corinthians 12, let me give you the backstory. The Apostle Paul uh, has got a problem. We don't know exactly what it was. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. It was something serious. Maybe it was uh, an adversary. Maybe it was an illness. Could have been a dozen things, more than that perhaps. We don't know. But it was something that was really, really bad. In fact, it was so bad that Paul goes to the father and he says, you've gotta take this away from me. I'm out here, I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to be a minister, I'm trying to start churches but I'm, I, it's hard because of this thing, this problem. It is terrible, it's keeping me from serving you better. It's, it's, it's holding back my effectiveness. God, please, why wouldn't you remove this? I could, be, I could do much more if you'd take this away. And you know what God said? No. In fact, Paul pleaded with him three times and God said, no, no, no. Now, why in the world would God not have removed it? It was keeping Paul from accomplishing all kind of bigger and better things. Why wouldn't God have removed this thorn? Well, we see the answer in 2 Corinthians 12, nine. First, we're gonna hear God's, God's reply and then we'll hear Paul's reply in this verse. He said, God said, my grace is sufficient for you and that's a whole another sermon we'll preach one day. But look at the second part. For my power is perfected in weakness. What he was saying was Paul, I don't need you to be stronger. I don't need you to do more. I need you to recognize how weak you are and I need you to lean on me let me do some things see paul the ministry is not going to go forward when you're better the ministry is going to go forward when i'm bigger part of it you, you see that he said you he, he said I, i'll make sure we get the words right he said for my power the power of god is perfected is perfect is complete when you're weak when you're weak you can't do it paul and, and this, this problem, this thorn in the flesh is just a reminder to you. It's not about you. You need to be dependent upon me. And so here's what Paul says. Paul responds to God. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more in my weakness so that Christ may reside in me. Paul said, you're right. I am weak. And, and, and I've been following you and I've been a part of some pretty amazing things, Paul says. But I recognize that the only way this can be successful is if I step out of the way and you do it. Paul recognized his dependence, his dependence upon God. The very next verse, Paul said, so I take pleasure in my weaknesses. Think about this. This doesn't even make sense. So I take pleasure in my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. this verse weighs heavy on me I want to be the best preacher that I can be but I know that the best thing I can do to be a better preacher is not for me to get better at preaching I mean that might help but the best thing I can do is for me to recognize how badly I need Jesus to prepare a sermon and preach. Does that make sense? The key to this getting better is not me getting better. The key is me recognizing how weak I am. Paul said the key to my ministry is not that all the all the hardships go away and I get better. He said the, the key is that I realize how how weak I am. Listen to this. If you aren't praying, it is because you think you can handle it By yourself if you aren't praying it's because you think you can handle it by yourself if you didn't think you could handle it by yourself you'd pray and the fact that you don't pray the fact that I don't pray about something I'm about to do means that I'm saying to the Lord "I, I got this I can handle this I can handle it better than you can I don't need help if I was convinced I needed help I would pray if if prayer is not the key piece to your parenting strategy moms and dads, it's because you think you can handle it by yourself. If prayer is not the key piece to the enrichment of your marriage, it's because you think you can handle it by yourself. See, the reason we should pray is because God delights in answering prayer, but we we should also pray because it's the mechanism for us to be dependent upon God. And that's how he wants us to live. Hey, I I want to close by telling you the three most important prayers you can pray. Can I do that? There are three prayers, three most important prayers you can pray. We'll show them to you on the screen. We'll do this quick. One, two, three. They're in your bulletin. Prayer number one, rescue me from my sins. God will hear no prayer until you pray this prayer. This is the first prayer. You have to recognize that you're guilty of sin and that sin has hopelessly separated you from God. And your only hope is what Jesus did for you on the cross. And to come to the Father and say, I surrender to you, and I ask for forgiveness based on what Jesus has done. See, that prayer starts this relationship with God, where God delights in answering the prayers of his children. So it has to start with that. If you've never come to the place in your spiritual life, maybe you've been been coming to church for a long time, but you've never really surrendered to God, you have never asked God to rescue you from your sins, then it's got to start there. That's prayer number one. Prayer number two, don't increase my strength, rather increase my awareness of my weakness. Too often, our prayers are, Lord, make me strong, make me strong, make me strong. You see, the apostle Paul learned that it's not about us being stronger and more independent. That's not the key. It's about us realizing how badly we need to walk with him. So pray this, Lord, I'm not asking you to make me stronger so that I need you less. I'm not asking you to make me richer so I have to trust you less. I'm not asking you to make me wiser so I have to come to you less. I'm asking you to make me aware of how needy I am so that I will come to you every single day. And then prayer number three, Lord, I can do nothing without you, so help me stay connected to the vine. Lord, I can do nothing without you. I am that branch that would wither and die on the ground were it not for that daily connection to the vine. Keep me connected to you. Now let's bow our head and close our eyes for just a moment. And, and I want you to just to be as still as you can be because I want to ask one question and I, and I don't want you to be distracted by anything. Why is it that you don't pray more than you pray? Why is it that you don't pray, that I don't pray more than I do? I'm convinced it's because we're not convinced that it matters. But today we've learned two reasons, two of many reasons why it matters. Would you commit yourself to investing in prayer because you know it matters in the days to come? If you need to pray prayer number one, I'm gonna be standing here and others will be here, other ministers will be here as well. You can step out when we sing and just talk to somebody here at the front and say, hey, help me today. Surrender to Jesus. I'm ready to start this journey. If you need to pray prayer number two and prayer number three, as I think many of us do, don't leave here today. Pull out your worship bulletin, look at those words and you express that heart to God in the middle of the song because it's time that you and I begin to pray like we believe it matters. Father, thank you for accepting our prayers for never ignoring the plea of your people, the cry of your children. So help us to live now like we believe that. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing, as we respond to the Lord.